God's grace, peace, and mercy be upon you on this, uh, I think it's the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Open mouth, insert foot. What is it with celebrities and public speakers saying stupid and insensitive things on network television? I try and avoid putting my foot in my mouth by carefully crafting my messages. You know, I spend hours reading and preparing and thinking well ahead of time what I'm going to say. You know, which seems is the opposite of what they do on shows like The View. You know, where everyone sits around a table gushing their inner thoughts to the whole nation. So you may know what I'm talking about. You may have heard recently Whoopi Goldberg spouted multiple incorrect statements about the Holocaust. And it's always the same. You know, afterwards when the person is called out on what they have said, their apology usually goes something along the lines of, I would never say that. That's not me. That's not who I am. I didn't mean to say that. You know, which sounds hollow, as if they're just trying to tap dance their way off the public stage of scrutiny. But one good thing that has come out from this latest uh, celebrity foot-in-the-mouth episode was a response written by Holocaust survivor Joan Salter. At the end of her well-thought-out and carefully crafted response to Whoopi Goldberg, she quotes another Holocaust survivor, Ellie Wiesel, who says, Anyone who listens to a witness becomes a witness. Think about that for a minute. Anyone who listens to a witness becomes a witness. These words have never been more apt. Salter says, It is my hope that everyone takes the time to read or hear some truly inspiring testimonies from Holocaust survivors like myself. This not only sheds more light on it, but also enables people to learn about the past and guard against identity hostility and misinformation in the world today. Well, Ellie Wiesel and Joan Salter couldn't be more spot on with their comments about the Holocaust. But isn't this how it works for us Christians too? Aren't we witnesses because we listened to another witness? Who listened to another? Absolutely. I've got six books here written by men who walked on the moon. These are their stories of their journey in their words. We haven't been to the moon ourselves. At least I'm pretty sure none of us have. Any of you been to the moon? Okay. But we can read their testimonies and tell others about where they went and what they did. Likewise, we have four books and multiple letters from witnesses of Jesus Christ. Luke is one of them, and in his account of Jesus, the crowd, the Word of God, the boats, the fishermen, the nets, and the fish, we've got Jesus showing us that the world, you and me, and God are all interconnected. 
Now, the reason I say that is because you may not care anything about Socrates or Plato. Some of you might have taken a philosophy class in college, right? But our culture and society has been so influenced by them, we're not even, most of the time, we're not even aware that a lot of things we say and uh, read, a lot of our culture was influenced by those guys. And thanks to the Greeks, people picked up on this belief that the material world was evil. You know, the world is evil, everything in it is evil, including the body. But the mind, the spiritual, was good. And life was a struggle between the two. The goal was to eventually shed the evil body and exist forever in the spiritual world. And even the Jews had been influenced by this Greek way of thinking by the time Jesus came along. And this still plays out into society today among many people and religions throughout the world. Popular belief about Christianity reveals some, some pretty glaring misconceptions. For instance, the separation of body and spirit when we die. Like being one with God and the cosmos or something. Or some Christians might even tell you that they can't wait to leave this sinful body behind and become, I don't know, like an angel or a spiritual being floating around in heaven or something like that. But today, we've got Jesus showing us something very contrary to popular opinion. He shows us at the lake in Galilee, the body, the things around us, the material things of this world and the spiritual things of God are all woven together. And that matters now because as witnesses to what God has done for the world, you and I can stop the spread of misinformation and give people a real hope for the future. Now, if you were to read chapters, the chapters before our text today in Luke, you'll find Jesus in the synagogues teaching and expounding on the scriptures and maybe reciting a favorite psalm or two. And everyone there is quietly, attentively listening, well, at least until they get mad at him and kick him out. But things are much different when he leaves the synagogues and goes down to the lake, to the shores in Galilee. The people don't keep their distance there and quietly listen. They press in on him. And this isn't just crowding around. I mean, they're pressing in. Can, you know, has anyone ever done that to you? Have, have you ever had a crowd press in on you? You may have been in a crowd, but when everyone's coming in at you and pressing in, man, you can't, you've got to be like, get away. So Jesus had to get away and teach the people from a distance because they were pressing in on him. Without so much as a permission to come aboard, he climbs into Simon Peter's boat and requests his services. And this is the first interaction we see between Jesus and Peter in the book of Luke. But keep this in mind. Jesus has already healed Peter's mother-in-law, who was gravely ill. So Peter owes Jesus a favor. He's not going to say no to Jesus when Jesus asks him to put the boat out a little bit into the water. 
And notice Jesus doesn't make the boat do what he wants to do with his divine power either. He asks Peter to help him by rowing the boat away from the shore. Because, you know, boats drift, right? And Jesus needs Peter to keep the boat stationary so that the people on the shore can hear him speak. To hear him fish. Because that's what he's really doing, you know. Jesus is fishing from the boat. He's fishing people. The people on the shore are listening, or they're hearing, and they're listening, and they're being caught. They're being reeled in to the kingdom of God. Jesus is fishing from a fisherman's boat. He's engaged in catching people and giving them new life. Now, Peter uses this same boat to catch fish that will die. So these two kinds of fishing will come together in the form of a challenge to Peter before this scene is over. After Jesus is done speaking to the crowd and the fishing is over for him, he tells Peter to row out a little further into the lake and toss the nets out for some fish. You know, and we tend to read over this probably like not really, okay, they're fishing, not really thinking about what's going on unseen here. But you can catch a glimpse of it though if you read carefully. See, Peter complains to Jesus. Look, me and the other guys have been out here all night fishing and haven't caught anything. We're tired. And here's something you may not have thought about before. Peter is an experienced fisherman by trade, isn't he? You know, he grew up on the shores of Galilee and his family lives there. He's probably descended from a family of fishermen. What's Jesus' trade? Yeah, he a handyman. He makes things. He's not a fisherman. He grew up miles away from Galilee up on the hills. Peter's probably thinking to himself, what does this rabbi think he knows about fishing? He wants to fish in the daytime. Because we found out when we went there uh, to Israel, most of the fishing done on the Sea of Galilee is done at night because of the daytime heat. During the day, the fish go way down to the bottom where the water is cool. And not only that, nets were used at night because the fish can see the nets in the day and they swim away, uh, swim away from them. Nevertheless, Peter says, okay, boss, have it your way. What happens next? Well, talk about a change of heart and mind. When Peter pulls up the net, with so much fish that the net starts to tear and he needs the help from the, other, from the guys in the other boat, he knows for certain he is in the company of a man who is in the company of the prophets. And he knows he's aware now of his own shortcomings that he is in the presence of the Almighty One. And notice also, Peter and his associates don't call out to the other boat to come help. That would alert the people on the shore that there's this new fishing spot where you can catch all the fish in the daytime. No, they motion to the other boat to come over and help. Because the last thing they want is for all the competition from town to converge on the same spot. It's best not to raise one's voice, but to simply wave to the other boat. 
But what shocks Peter at this moment is not so much the miraculous catch, but the fact that he, Peter, is now faced with a man who has made a real choice between God and money. Peter and his shipmates have finally won the lottery. They could make more money with this catch of fish than they do in a month, maybe two or more. And he knows that Jesus knows something about this lake. He knows where all the fish are. He could make a fortune himself. Jesus could, but he doesn't. So why was Jesus, a penniless rabbi without a real job, wandering around Judea and Galilee, teaching people for nothing? How could the kingdom of God be more important than a gold mine's worth of fresh fish? Well, because Jesus cares more about his Father in heaven and people than he does about acquiring wealth. And as we have seen, Peter, who once referred to Jesus as boss or teacher, now calls him Lord. Peter knew he was in the presence of the Most Holy. Peter became afraid because he knew this man knew everything he ever did or said that was bad, against God, whatever. And this is the first time in Luke's gospel that we hear the word sinner or sinful man. Likewise, you and I cannot stand in the presence of the most holy because of our sin. Years of bitterness, anger, slander, poor decisions, addictions, perversions. In our fear, we say, depart from me, Lord, for I am sinful. Despite our sin, though, God chooses to hold us up and stand with us. He doesn't count our sins against us because he's taken all of them upon himself on the cross. And he has something for us to do. Fish. Fish for people. Now Jesus assures Peter his years of experience and skills as a fisherman will be used for a catch of a different kind. Now he'll be catching men, women, and children, whole families. As fish are caught, you know, the real fish, they die, right? But from this same boat, Jesus catches people who were once dead and makes them alive. What a reverse, huh? Peter and the others will begin doing the same. And you got to wonder, what did they do with all these fish? You know, Luke says that they dropped everything once they got back to shore and followed Jesus. Well, naturally, they wouldn't have just left the fish there to rot and their families to starve. This is a dramatic moment in the scene. Luke does this on purpose. Whatever they did, sell the fish, give it away, just let people take it from the, from the nets, they dropped a fortune and left it there and everything and followed Jesus to catch people so they would live. Shocking. You know, this kind of thing will happen again. After Jesus dies on the cross and is buried in the tomb in Jerusalem, Peter will say to the others, <clears throat> well, guys, 
I guess we'll go back down to Galilee, see if we can get our old jobs back, and go fishing. Pretend this Jesus thing never happened. But early one morning, after they'd been out all night on the lake, again, with nothing to show for it, a man on the shore, out in the distance, tells them to throw the nets on the other side and see what they get. And again, Peter reluctantly obliges, although he's probably thinking, you know, who does this guy think he is? We're the pros. And there's this amazing catch of fish again. So many they can hardly pull it in. And Peter remembers the first time this happened. And he knows it's Jesus out there on the shore. He's alive. And because others who listened to their witness became witnesses themselves, you and I are alive in Christ. And we are witnesses. Jesus certainly demonstrated his ability to make a lot of money in a hurry, didn't he? But he is seen here as a man with a higher commitment. Simon Peter stood in awe of such a person, and the big fisherman was born. In this scene, matter, money, spirit, it's all woven together by the one who made it. So let us then move forward together using the resources God has given us to fish and bring more people along with us to life that lasts forever with Jesus, forgiven and made new again. Amen.